Hey guys, welcome back to Just the Good Stuff. This is your host, Rachel Mansfield, and I am so incredibly excited and still pretty much fangirling over here about today's podcast guest. We are chatting with the New York Times bestselling author of four cookbooks, food blogger, entrepreneur, and creator of Against All Grain, Danielle Walker. Danielle is also known for her amazing paleo and grain-free recipes. She is one of the first paleo food bloggers ever and someone I personally look up to so, so much. Danielle shares her health journey with us and getting diagnosed with an autoimmune condition at the young age of 22, ulcerative colitis. Danielle shares her journey getting diagnosed and how she used food to help heal her and her autoimmune condition. She cut out all grains, legumes, dairy, and more and saw a complete difference in her health in such a short period of time, which she will totally fill us in on all the details of that. And she also shares her most recent flare that had her in the hospital for 18 days, and it was one of her scariest yet. It was also her first time being back in the hospital for this in 10 years. I have so much admiration and respect for Danielle and how brave she is to really do whatever it takes to feel her best and do whatever her body needs for her to just function and, and for her to feel good. Danielle shares, shares more about her pantry staples and her and all the things she has to keep on hand for cooking and baking for all of her amazing recipes. And she even shares some of her go-tos that she makes for her family, which fun fact, they all eat the same thing for dinner, which all of the parents out there know that is not always the easiest. So bravo to Danielle for making that happen. We also transition a bit and chat about fertility and Danielle shares the extremely heartbreaking story of their second child who passed shortly after she was born and what we can do as a community to really help support women of loss and how important it is to fight for your health always and do what feels right for you and your body. You guys, this will make a lot more sense to you once you hear Danielle's story, but huge thank you to Danielle for sharing all of your vulnerabilities with us on the podcast. I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I am getting joy- enjoyed getting to chat with Danielle. I'm like even getting teary-eyed as I'm even talking right now for this intro, thinking about her sharing her story. And Danielle, thank you so, so much for taking the time to do this. While listening to today's episode, I would love to hear from you. If you enjoy our chat and have been loving the podcast as much as I do, please leave a rating and review over on iTunes. I also love, love, love seeing when you guys listen to the episode when you screenshot it and tag me and our guest over on Instagram. So thank you so much for all of the love always. Before we dive into today's episode, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Simple Mills. Pretty much my lifeline for all things snacking, baking, and all of the things in between. Simple Mills and I go way back to when they only had baking mixes, baking mixes like their vanilla cake mix and the delicious banana bread mix. It has been so cool to see them completely boom over the last few years, and I'm actually interviewing the founder and CEO, Caitlin Smith, for the podcast soon, which that episode should actually be be coming out either next week or the week after this if I am doing my quick quick calculations correct. Lately, though, my go-to snack from them is their almond flour crackers. These are a complete staple in my pantry, and to be honest, I eat them every single day. They are made with an almond, sunflower seed, and flaxseed flour blend, have no natural and artificial flavors, and they are just like this crunchy, perfect cracker that 
They are so good for dipping. They're good for just snacking. The sea salt and farmhouse cheddar are my two favorites. And the cheddar ones taste like actual Cheez-Its. They also have a sun-dried tomato and basil one. They have smoky barbecue cheddar, which is my mom's favorite, and rosemary sea salt. I either dip the crackers in hummus, eat them whole. Fun fact, obviously Ezra loves them too. And I also crush them up and use like the last of the crumbs that are like on the bottom of the bag to make my oven-baked fried chicken from my cookbook. A complete must-make if you have my book, Just the Good Stuff, which is linked in the show notes as well. This recipe was so good. This is actually the one I made on the Today Show and Hoda like wanted it every single day after I made it, which just I'm still freaking out over because that was the coolest thing in the entire world to see. I linked to all of my favorites in the show for easy ordering. When you were drooling, listening to this like I am even thinking about these crackers, Simple Mills. Thank you guys so much. I love you. Now let's dive into today's episode. I'm so excited to chat with you. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know this cannot be easy for you home with three kids right now finding an hour to carve out. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Of course. No, I'm, I stole away into my office. I see I used to do mine in my closet as well. So <laughs> I get it. <laughs> you know, at first when I started recording here, I felt kind of embarrassed because I'm like, people are seeing like, literally, like, this is my robe behind me. It's like, I couldn't, yeah. I'm like, you know what? I don't care. No. No, no, who cares? No, it's great. Our closet, my husband installed like an auto off light. So after there's no movement for like five minutes, the light goes off. And so like every time I was in there recording a podcast, the light would go off, which is great. Yeah, it's energy saving, but it's also like, I'd have to like stand there and wave my arms to like keep the light on. I mean, I tried the bathroom, but the bathroom gets echoey. So I'm like, you know what? My closet's like my own studio. Totally. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I realize I've never spoken like directly to you. I feel like I know, I know. from following you for forever. I was actually telling my mom this morning, I was interviewing you. I was like, I don't want to say I'm nervous, but like, I'm kind of nervous because I follow, have followed you for forever. Like you're one of like the original people on Instagram and original blogs. That, like I've looked up so I'm like, so oh, thank you. So, thank you so much for doing this. Oh my gosh, of course. I feel the same. I followed you forever too. And I love following your little family and your recipes always look amazing. I know it's funny how you can feel like you're like friends with somebody through Instagram, even though you've never met, which I guess is a great thing. You know, it's like brings people together. I take off my earrings so it doesn't like clink clinking up against the speaker. There we go. Jordan always says, Rachel, I feel like you just call everyone your friend. Like you actually are friends. And I'm like, I, I think they're my friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, my husband said that the other day too. He's like, he always practices it with like, is this your real friend or is this like your online friend? I'm like, they're one in the same to me. <laughs> he really has in real life friends because he can't do anything. So thank God for right. friends, you know, it's time. Totally. Well, I'd love to kind of backtrack a bit. And I know you've obviously told your health journey, your story so many times. I know every time I've heard it and listened to it, like, it's truly so inspiring. And I just commend you so much for being so open and honest about this. And I'd love to kind of, obviously, I don't know how old you are now, but I'd love to kind of go back (laughs) a few years into when, you know, 22 year old Danielle, when you first, like something started not to feel right and kind of what you were feeling and how this whole journey started. Yeah, well, I am 35. Am I 35 or 34? I can't ever remember. <laughs> I'm, I'm somewhere around there. I was born in 85. Um, yeah, so um, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease called ulcerative colitis when I was 
22, Ryan, my husband and I had just gotten married and um, it kind of came on overnight, honestly. And kind of a long story short is I spent like three, four years just really, really sick. Um, I was constantly in the hospital and just on tons of medications, really, really high debilitating doses of medications and eventually came to food as a way to keep my symptoms at bay. Um, Every doctor that I met with and talked to all said that food wouldn't make any difference at all and that it wouldn't cure it and it it didn't cause it. And so I kind of just like took that, you know, you you basically believe what your doctors tell you. So I took that for a while. And then just after spending so many years on those medications and just never actually being well, even while being on medications, just decided to kind of try to take it in my own hands and started doing a lot of online research and just trying to find other people that had something similar to me and that had found some sort of success with food. And it was a long trial and error process, but kind of over like this long period of going first kind of going like off of anything refined and processed um, to like going gluten-free to then finally cutting out all grains and dairy um, and really kind of adopting more of like a paleo lifestyle, but kind of pre, pre-paleo, like before it was a big thing, but really found that my symptoms improved like significantly um, within a couple of days. And so that was really the turning point for me. At that point, I had um, my oldest, who's almost 10. He was nine months old. I was just so sick and could barely take care of him. And once I realized that food could actually do something, if I really stuck to it, that was kind of like the point where I said, okay, I'm not looking back. And so it's been a decade plus of me eating that way. And I've, you know, throughout the years, it's never, it's never been a perfect journey. I'm actually just coming off of a really, really bad flare up of my disease that just was uncontrollable even with food. Um, so it has never been perfect, but it kept me so much healthier than I was before that. And we're still learning. And it's kind of crazy to look back when you say 22 and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's really been a long time. Um, and I would love to say that it's been a long time of just like perfect health, you know, everything, but um, it's just this constant learning journey for me. But we we know that food plays like an essential massive role in all of it. It's so crazy to me that, you know, anytime I would say something to a doctor, like, well, there's no scientific evidence stating that like taking herbs or doing food or like anything. <laughs> right. Um, okay. Well, yeah. what were some of the symptoms that you're feeling when someone has ulcerative colitis? Like what were some of like, the, how did you know something wasn't right? Like, what were you feeling? Yeah. So ulcerative colitis is a, a digestive disease. It's really similar to Crohn's disease. Um, people experience slightly different symptoms, but for the most part, it's this like severe gastrointestinal di- or distress, um, not being able to absorb nutrients, going to the bathroom a lot internal bleeding that can happen in the colon, um, really bad cramping kind of can be a a variety. Some people have like really severe constipation. It kind of depends. And then I think the biggest thing more than anything for me is the symptoms from the UC actually end up causing a ton of other symptoms, like really severe anemia, really, really under, I was really underweight. So I had a lot of trouble just with the absorption of nutrients. So I was deficient in tons of different things, which caused me to like have no energy at all and to have my hair be falling out. And I was just like constantly pale and just, it just, yeah, a lot, a lot of, a slew of different things. <laughs> Did anyone in your family had like struggle with anything so like similar growing up, like your mom or an aunt or anyone? 
No, not, not really. Although over the last few years, it's funny, like when you go through something, you'll finally learn things about your family that they never talked about before. It's like, you're kind of like, oh, why didn't you tell me that? We have somewhat of a history of autoimmune disease in my family, but not the same one that I have, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, my grandmother has rheumatoid arthritis. My grandpa has diabetes. And then my grandma kind of has always had some sort of like digestive stuff. My parents didn't, my siblings didn't. So when I got diagnosed, it felt like it kind of came out of nowhere. And like, as we've been researching and learning more over the last decade or so, it's like, okay, there's, there's some things that line up, but it really didn't feel like something that I was prepared for. It wasn't like I grew up like hearing like, oh, you might get this when you're older because, you know, like mom has it or anything like that. So yeah, it was a definitely a big shock. <laughs> That's so crazy. That's such a young age too. I feel like 22 yeah. going out to like bars and yeah. going wild. I mean, I, I, I mean, totally. I, not at not, I, 22, I think is when I paid myself a little bit, but like to be struggling, yeah. that is like, I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, it was definitely young. We weren't prepared for it. And we were, my husband and I were, we were married for like a month before I got diagnosed. So it was just like a, a big, a big change right away. Now, when you got pregnant, was that, did this like health history impact your pregnancy at all? Did they ever say like, you have, can you have difficulty getting pregnant when you have an autoimmune disease? Yeah. So every autoimmune disease is different. I mean, there's some that directly affect your fertility um, or your hormones. Mine did not. There were some risk factors, but not really no trouble getting pregnant from it, but there were some risk factors about um, like premature labor and slightly like underweight birth birth weights, um, but nothing, nothing super severe and not even, I mean, I remember like looking into the medications I was in, most of them were classified as like safe for pregnancy. And so I didn't really have any complications pregnancy wise, or even really getting pregnant. I mean, with our first, it took some time, I think it took like a year to get pregnant at first. Um, and we've had losses that completely separated from my disease. Um, what actually happened with my pregnancies was I never felt better. <laughs> um, so there's this kind of phenomenon with some autoimmune diseases and just with each person, it's different. But um, essentially, I mean, everybody that gets pregnant, your immune system suppresses so that it doesn't reject the fetus just because it's a foreign object, if you will. So a lot of autoimmune disease can actually really calm down during pregnancy because autoimmune disease is, is essentially your overactive immune system. And so it actually really helped me. I felt like never better. There were even times where like, I knew I was pregnant because I felt so great. I was like, before I even had to take a pregnancy test, I was like, I might be pregnant because I'm feeling amazing. <laughs> so yeah. That's so beautiful though. I mean, like I said, like it's one of the silver linings of you struggling. Yes. Other ways. Like a lot of people are like on their deathbed for the nine months that they're pregnant. Totally. Yeah. So for me, unfortunately, it was the opposite. I felt incredible during the entire time. And then usually when my babies were like around eight or nine months, when I would start to have a lot of hormonal fluctuations from like introducing solids and, you know, all of that. And then just your body just starting to return back to normal in general, that's when I would actually crash. And that's when like my immune system would all of a sudden ramp back up and it would start attacking itself again. And I've had a postpartum flare up like clockwork after each of my kids. So it was like one of those things where we knew going into it. I'm like, I want to grow our family. I know I'm going to feel great. I know I'm going to have a flare up afterwards. And it was just kind of that thing where we had to balance and weigh the pros and cons. <laughs> What were some of the other like things that cause a flare up for you? Like you just, I know just from following you very recently, you had what seems to be a very scary flare up for you. And you're yeah. like, oh, what usually causes those and what caused the most recent one for you? 
It's hard to pinpoint them. Um, when we look, and again, it's like every time I have a setback, we kind of learn something new. And it's, it's unfortunate that it takes this long to really start to kind of put the pieces together. But um, one thing that I didn't realize for probably like the first five or six years of my disease was that stress is like a massive cause for flare-ups for anybody with autoimmune diseases. Um, I'm a very like type A person. I'm definitely very driven and kind of go, go, go. And so um, I didn't realize that. I thought like if I was just eating clean and doing what I thought I was supposed to do, that I'd be okay. And stress is huge for me. So um, we've even learned like the nuance and just not just like mental stress of just being busy, but also like emotional stress. So like the traumas that we've been through, if I don't process through those, that can cause flare-ups. I'm not getting a lot of sleep. I can go into a flare-up. So I think this most recent one was like this perfect storm, unfortunately, of hormonal shifts from stopping nursing my three-year-old. She was one and a half, I think, at the time when I first kind of started being symptomatic. And then I did a bunch of book tours and just ran myself into the ground and wasn't getting enough sleep. And then I think, you know, I mean, like even just with postpartum, I think it's this like combination of hormones, you're not sleeping. I mean, let's be honest, like you're waking up a million times during the night and you're tired all day long. And so your body, I think just like, I mean, you already grew and birthed the baby. Then you went through like the physical trauma of birthing. Then you go through coming home and like, you know, this whole new thing of having kids in the home and more kids for us um, and not sleeping and the stress of like worrying about the baby all the time. Like it's just, you know, as a mom, it's like, that's all you do is worry about your kids. So I think that's a lot of the time when what happens is it's just like all these things hitting me at once. I could like sit at home and eat well and just like, you know, be calm and collected all the time. I'd probably be great, but just not my personality. (laughs) Shit was like hitting the fan and you had to like go to the hospital. Like when, when did you kind of pull the trigger for that? Yeah. So this one, it's interesting. I had not had to go to the hospital for this disease for, it was 10, it was almost exactly like 10 years which is great. <laughs> it was amazing. And I hadn't had to use like any of the major medications. Um, but this one particularly had been going on for a really long time. And I was able to really keep most of it under control with food. Um, and then I did a book tour on a bus for two weeks, which was really, really fun, but didn't sleep and was like up late and just traveling all over the place. And so when I got home, I kind of started to notice myself crashing and I like just put myself on bed rest for a while and started to feel like things were getting better. But I definitely like, it was probably around Halloween last year that I just noticed, like, first of all, I knew I was dehydrated. And that was one thing where I was like, I can't do this on my own. I have to go get IVs to just like try to replenish. Um, And so that was really what took me to the hospital more than anything. I was like, I know I need fluids. And then unfortunately, once I got to the hospital, things just like dropped and I was supposed to, I thought I'd be there for two days and I was there for 18. So not, not at all what we expected. But What else do they do for you when you're in the hospital for that? Like that helps you heal that like someone can't do at home besides like <laughs> up to the IV and, and everything. Yeah. Well, so for me, the IV just as fluids, but then I was also like really low on potassium and a few other like vital nutrients and at that point I couldn't really hold anything down so that was kind of the biggest thing is I just needed it through IVs and then um with this most recent one it was just like super intense so I just needed to be there to like receive medications through IVs and then also to I had to have a colonoscopy done so that was kind of the other thing that was kind of necessary but yeah for all my past ones I've been able to just kind of feel at home and it's 
not easy. And I've had to really like step back and kind of cancel like all plans and just basically like lay in bed to give my body time to rest. But this one, for some reason, just was, was different. I don't, we don't really quite know why. Do your kids understand what's going on when you're there? Like, do they, I'm sure your almost three-year-old doesn't fully get it. No, yeah. Any idea what goes on? Yeah, my oldest one is starting to. He has seen me like go through those kind of periods of being sick and well. And so, and he also just knows like what I do for a living and he knows, you know, like why I write my cookbooks. And so we talk a lot about that. This definitely, this last one was definitely scary for him because he was older and like understood a lot more. Um, my other two were two and four at the time. So they like came and visited me a couple of times and didn't really, I don't think probably understand the difference really between like, me traveling for work and me being gone and my husband is like the most hands-on incredible dad so they didn't really miss much I don't think um and like once they got home like they don't even really remember they don't like talk about it occasionally my four-year-old who's almost five will be like yeah that time you went to the doctor for a while (laughs) it's like yeah you know that couple three weeks doctor visit (laughs) but otherwise no which I'm grateful for because like they're so resilient Kids really like they're fearless in every way possible. Like I always say, they are fearless as like Ezra was. Like he goes up to everyone. He pets yeah. dogs. He just has like no. They just have <laughs> love and just like openness for everything. Do they? Um, are you totally that any of your kids will have um, ulcerative colitis or any type of autoimmune condition? Like, have you seen? They're obviously, they're at a young age. But have you like seen anything that could indicate that at this time? Yeah, um, I would say that's probably like my biggest fear as a mom, just see them suffer and to go through what I've gone through. So there are no, none of them have have ever had any symptoms of any sort or anything like that. Um, I mean, if there's like a day where their bowels are off, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I I definitely freak out. Um, But from an early age, we've kept them, they eat like I do with some exceptions here and there. I mean, it's not quite as strict as I have to be just because they don't really show any symptoms, but just because autoimmune diseases are and can be hereditary, it's definitely like something I'm hyper vigilant about. We see a like functional medicine pediatrician that has them on supplements to just like try to make sure we're setting their bodies up well now. And, you know, I mean, yeah, I'm just going to like constantly watch and see how they do as they grow up. But that's something that we like a pretty open discussion in our house about like, mommy's this way because you know like her body will get sick if she doesn't and so we kind of all eat this way as a family just to try to protect ourselves and because it's good for us and it makes your body grow healthier and stronger and I mean they understand like what gluten-free is and they understand a lot of what we eat and yeah so I mean it's definitely like this open thing in our family that we're just kind of constantly like refining and working towards but yeah, thank, thank the Lord. No, no signs or symptoms of anything of any of them right now, which is great. Are there any supplements that the doctor like has like that you would recommend that anyone, any child should take? I know obviously you're not a doctor, but like anyone can right. got <laughs> health or just anything like can't hurt to, to be taking, whether it's like a probiotic or just, just yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think I'm always super cautious with supplements, even with like the ones that I'm on with talking about it, because I think it definitely is particular to the child we've actually had like testing done to see like genetically if they're predisposed for things and that's like how she figures out what to put them on but a lot of them are just kind of like blanket great things to be on probiotics is one of them all three of my kids were c-section kids so I started them on probiotics from like week two of being home 
just to make sure that they got that like beneficial flora that you get from a vaginal birth. So they've all been on probiotics forever. I have them on like fish oil. They eat salmon, but they don't eat enough omega-3s. So I have them on, I've always had them on fish oil. Um, they're on CoQ10, which is like really helpful for filtering out like environmental toxins and things like that. They are on, I'm trying to think what else they take. Um, they take, I mean, they take like a multivitamin and vitamin and, and um, folate, but I, yeah, I mean, it's just like kind of simple things and most of it is for gut health. And then also just for like all the environmental toxins that our kids are exposed to all the time. So it's not a lot. I mean, they take maybe four or five. And I try to do it every day, but it doesn't ever end up being every day. I don't think if there's anything else. There's one other, oh, glutathione. That's another one that it's like a liquid that they take that that is easy to take. I take it too, um, but that's a really good one too. I was going to say, I always forget to give Ezra his probiotic at night or in the I know. I feel like I'm a horrible mom because like, yeah. I know like 8.30, he's already sleeping. And then I'm like, oh, I'll get him in the morning. And then I, it was good when he had bottles, which lasted, he had- Totally. Put milk. it right in there. Yeah, and breast milk for a month. But like after that, it was just, I'm, I have to start getting a little bit better at that. I just yeah. bought his vitamins and stuff you need to start taking but I'm yeah I've been trying I know we probably end up like averaging three days a week it's not it's not perfect and typically my kids remind me because some of them are gummies so they're like it's like to them that's like candy so they're like can we have our vitamins so they're usually the ones that keep me on track <laughs> I'd love to transition a bit into like the food and how you used like what you have been through to kind of kickstart a whole career for yourself which is I guess finding like the light at the end of the tunnel or the rainbow or cliche thing I could say, but (laughs) originally turned to food. What exactly did you cut out? Cause it was more than just following like a paleo diet in the first place. So what was like that you had followed and then how did you know to like ease those back in one by one? Yeah. I mean, I worked with a practitioner, which was really helpful. You can totally do it on your own, but it was just so nuanced that it was really helpful for somebody to be like kind of watching over and like helping me decide what to add in next. Um, We did some like food kind of allergy testing at the beginning or like sensitivity testing, not really allergies. Um, And so really when I first started, it's the easiest way to explain it is like the paleo autoimmune protocol, which again, kind of wasn't really around back then, but it was paleo plus cutting out a lot of other things that could be inflammatory. So I cut out eggs, nuts and seeds, nightshades, like tomatoes, eggplants, peppers, white potatoes. Um, And then a couple random ones like cinnamon and cilantro came back on my list. It was just like kind of these really random nuanced things. And those were the things that like I added back in after a month or so of cutting them out. Um, But yeah, it was really intense. Um, it was, but it, I, I guess the thing that helped me was she kept saying like, this is not forever. We just need to like cut all these things out, let your gut heal for some time and then start to like introduce them one back at a time to really see what is the main culprit. All dairy as well was cut out. So grains, dairy, legumes, <laughs> nuts and seeds, eggs, nightshades. I mean, it feels eat? like, I know it feels like, what did you eat? Um, I ate a lot of soup and like bone broth and a ton of just stroke, like organic grass-fed protein, like a lot of meat and chicken. I mean, all mostly all vegetables, so long as they were cooked for me at that time when I was like severely symptomatic. Um, a lot of people with digestive stuff just can't process like raw fruits and vegetables. Like smoothies and salads were out, which was a bummer. Um, but yeah, it was just a lot of like slow cooked, like slow cooker meals with just vegetables and meat 
and fruit. Like I, I remember just making like vats of like applesauce, just like cooked down apples because I knew I could tolerate that. Um, it got really boring really quick, but she started having me add stuff back in. I think like probably after six weeks. It wasn't like okay. it wasn't forever. I mean, it definitely felt when I first saw the list, I was like, oh my gosh. And over time, I've been able to add so much more back in. I mean, I can do nuts and seeds. That's like primarily what I bake with. Um, And I can do eggs, you know, mostly eggs if they're like baked into stuff is easier for me. But yeah, it definitely ebbs and flows. If I'm like very symptomatic and I'm just trying to control it, I kind of revert back to that. It's like super strict for a week or two. Um, But otherwise, I would define the way I eat as paleo. Did you have experience in the kitchen or like, did you grow up cooking? Like, did you cook when you first got married? Well, I guess like when you're with your, like, <laughs> at the time before you got yeah. married or did you have to like, learn kind of how to handle food all at the same time? Yeah, I kind of had to learn it all at the same time. People ask that a lot, but I think it, if you look at what age I was, it was like, I literally just graduated from college, like a month before we got married. So, I mean, I ate the jack in the box through college or like I worked at restaurants. So I was always just eating whatever, like, you know, we could order from the restaurants I worked at. So I didn't do a lot of cooking in college. There's not, I don't think many people do. So it was kind of like this process of like coming into like being a newlywed and like having my own place and being out of college. So I really had to learn how to cook anyways. And then all of that happened. And so, yeah, it was kind of like the simultaneous, like I need to learn how to cook, but I also can't use any of the stuff that I you know, my mom or my grandma used growing up. And so it was more of like a necessity. It was like, okay, I am young and I don't want to like be eating cardboard forever. And so it was kind of, that's kind of what like pushed me to get into the kitchen and just start experimenting and trying new things. So no, I didn't like have training or anything like that. And I wouldn't even say I was like particularly interested in food or cooking growing up. I mean, it was fine. Like it was like, it was just food. It wasn't anything. Yeah. Like I wasn't super into it, but. And then when did you decide to start like sharing the food that you were like, that you were cooking? Like, did you first start by blogging, just sharing your story? And then did that like evolve into sharing recipes or was it kind of like simultaneously like, Hey, everyone, like I made this, I'm making this up grain-free cake. (laughs) Anyone's like, you know, feeling how I'm feeling like this is a way for you to enjoy dessert or how did that all evolve? Yeah, it was kind of at the same time. Um, My, it was when my, so my oldest Asher, it was when he was, kind of like around nine or 10 months old, a little earlier than that. And I just started creating recipes when he was napping. And my husband is actually the one that encouraged me to start a blog. So I started the blogging and I didn't talk too much about my symptoms. I mean, I think I kind of maybe tracked a bit of my progress, but not as much. It was more just like the sharing the recipes. And it started because I was like making things and I would take them into my husband's office or I would share them with my neighbors or my family. And they were like, oh, I want the recipe for this. And so I was like, well, I don't really have one. I just kind of like, you know, like chicken scratched it down. And so I started typing them up and sharing them. And then I think I started my Facebook page maybe in 2010 or 2009. And that's really where I started sharing recipes with like strangers. <laughs> I didn't expect it to do what it did. Honestly, I was like, oh, this is just a place where, you know, like my family and my my sister and my neighbors can come and get the recipe. And and then it started growing and people started coming to it. And I like really did not expect it. Like I didn't set out to start a business. I guess that's people ask that all the time. They're like, did you, you know, like, were you entrepreneurial? And I was like, well, yeah, I was growing up. So like, I didn't expect yeah. what I did to, to, to turn into what it has for sure. What were some of the first recipes that you remember sharing that like, or even you're still your like reader's favorites and stuff that people always <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I showed some at the beginning that are just, 
I'm terrible. I mean, I don't know if the recipes were terrible, but the photography was terrible. So I don't even like revisit those. But the two, the two that I like distinctly remember people coming for and like all of a sudden just seeing them shared like all over the place were a chocolate chip cookie. And then this like sandwich bread that was made from cashew butter. Um, those were like the two that I just remember. I, I mean, I remember being excited to put them out there, but didn't really expect the kind of like feedback and excitement about them that they that they had. Were there other like paleo grain-free blogs at that time? Like anyone else sharing recipes? I feel like when I started paying attention to quote like <sighs> grain, even gluten-free food, it had yeah. to, maybe 2013 is 2014 is maybe when I started seeing everything. So yeah. Were there paleo bloggers at that time? So, and I'm trying to think, 2009 is probably, yeah, I think that's when I started. I mean, there were a couple. Um, When I started blogging, I wasn't really paleo blogging. I was doing um, specific carbohydrate diet and GAP diet, which is a little bit smaller of a niche. Um, I know Alana Amsterdam was probably the first blog that I found, Alana's Pantry. And then there might have been one or two other ones. And then I think on it, like within that maybe first year was kind of, there were a few of us that started. So like Phil and Haley from Primal Palette, I think started around the same time. There was a guy named George that had a website called Civilized Caveman. I think that was like all, it was like within those like first couple of years, there were a few other, other bloggers, but not many, honestly. And that's what made me start doing my own because when I first started looking, I couldn't find anything. It was like, oh, there's not really anybody out there doing this and I need to eat good food. So yeah, there were, there were probably like maybe four or five that were kind of all came out similarly, but yeah, there really weren't very many at the time. I mean, paleo, I think it like got its notoriety from the CrossFit gym. And I think even at that time, CrossFit was still doing like the zone diet. <laughs> um, they say, I don't even remember. I just remember there was zone diet and they had like zone bars. And that was like what, that was like what CrossFit diet was. And then they like transitioned into paleo, like more around like 2010 or so. And that's kind of when it like started to to shoot up. I feel like 2010, 2011. Oh, I've never even heard of that. I feel like there's I, know. I don't think it's around anymore. <laughs> um, when did you work? Like, when were you able to start monetizing your business? Like, did that first income stream come from like ad revenue or were it like brand partnerships? Like, when did you kind of know, oh, wow, like I can actually turn this into a business? Oh, man, that was a long process. No, brand partnerships were not a thing back then. I don't think those were, I mean, I feel like those didn't start coming until like, I don't know, six, seven, eight years ago. Um, the first thing that we started to do to monetize were Google ads. And I was like super resistant. I didn't want them on my sidebar. And I just was like, I don't want to ruin the look of my blog. But after starting to realize how much money you spend to big recipe tests and buy the ingredients and all of that, um, and just how much time I would spend at night typing up and answering all the comments. And it was finally like, okay, we need to make something out of this to like, to try to at least cover the cost. I wasn't like looking to make money. I was like, I just need to cover the cost of like a couple hours of childcare a day, some ingredients, the hosting fees for my blog, a new camera. So yeah, so I started doing Google ads. I think I made like $25 a month. It was like something silly and ridiculous. (laughs) But it was like, for me, I was like, yay. And then I think probably the second monetization was starting to use Amazon affiliate links. That was like a big thing back then. Now their percentages are like ridiculous and laughable compared to what they used to be. I mean, they used to give like 10, 10, 11% of commissions and now it's like two to three. It's crazy. Yeah. So that was probably the next big thing where it was like, oh, I can use these and not charge my audience anything, but they, if they order through them, I get a kickback, but it doesn't 
it doesn't like affect them. That was kind of always my like outlook on it. I was like, I don't really want to do anything that's going to charge my audience money necessarily, but I need to make something. So how can we like do this where it doesn't really affect them, but I can still make a living out of it. So those are probably the two biggest things. Well, then also the links just make their lives easier. Cause I know a lot of the times it's totally find your blog. They don't know what almond flour is or coconut sugar right. and link to something, even if they don't buy it, like at least they'll see it. And hopefully they'll yeah. buy it within a few hours later. So you still get the percentage, but like, it's still helpful for them to have, have a link of sorts. What are some of your like, go like, must have pantry staples for paleo? Let's start with paleo baking. So like anything <laughs> you have to have like your favorite type of sugar and flour and all that fun stuff. Yeah. I mean, almond flour and um, Wellbees is like my favorite brand ever. They're a small company out of New York. What's what that? that? Of almond um, flour? Wellbees. Uh, it's W-E-L-L-B-E-E-S. They started, they had a, a different name back when I first started using them. I can't remember what it was now, but um, they were like an FCD store and they honestly make like the finest, I think, blanched almond flour. You can get it on Amazon. I've, that's like all I've used for years. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they, at the time, like they were the only ones that made finely ground like almond flour. Everything else was always kind of gritty and like made your stuff taste and turn kind of greasy. So that was like the first one I used. But um, coconut flour, almond butter. I use a lot of honey and maple syrup. More recently, I love baking with maple sugar, even though it's super expensive. <laughs> just because it's like the closest to granulated white sugar. So it just, it works so differently in recipes than like honey and maple does. And it's so different than coconut sugar just because it's not quite so like deep and dark. Um, I'm trying to think what else I use a lot. Those would probably be like the main, those would be the main staples. Arrowroot powder, I use a lot more than I used to. I didn't used to use it, but it makes things so different. So I've, I've, I use that a lot more too. What's your go-to like chocolate brand for cookies and stuff? Uh, for, for like chocolate chips or like cocoa powder. Chocolate chips. I mean, Hugh Kitchen, when I'm not feeding them to my kids, otherwise I'm like, this is too expensive. I'm not going to waste this bag on you guys, like $12. Um, and then I love Guitard. It, okay. it, they use refined sugar, but they have like a dark chocolate chip that's like 75% or so. And they don't use any soy, which is what I like. So no soy and dairy. And then of course, like Enjoy Life. And we use them a lot too, just because they're allergen friendly. But Yeah. And what about cooking? Like, what are some of your pantry staples for like easy meals and stuff, especially for like a family that you that you keep? Yeah, I do a lot of freezer meals. Like, that's like my biggest thing is just like multiplying what I'm going to make and throwing in the freezer, especially with three kids and working full time. But if I just need something quick in terms of like good flavor, I mean, fish sauce. I always have Red Boat fish sauce. I was super like against it at first because of the smell. <laughs> Um, but once I realized that you don't need much and it can add such like a really good salty punch to stuff. And then coconut aminos would be kind of probably the next, the next two that I would use the most. And I use, I like to use a lot of fresh herbs. So not necessarily a pantry staple, but like, I kind of just always have fresh herbs on hand. Cause I feel like they can make any meal taste better if it's kind of bland. Um, I'm trying to think what else I keep just like all the time. I mean, we have a lot of like salad dressings and sauces. I feel like if something boring or you don't have time for much, like you can just make something simple and just like douse it in a bunch of sauces. It always helps. You, like when you make dinner or like, you're, like whoever is cooking dinner for everyone, do you guys all eat the same exact thing? Like when you sit down? Usually. Occasionally I will do like the same thing, but maybe something on the side or like if we're having taco night, I'll do lettuce straps, but my kids can 
tolerate like organic corn. So I'll give them corn tortillas or they can do white rice. So sometimes I'll make bowls and put rice for them and not for me. Um, I don't ever make two meals. Like I, I used to <laughs> back in the day, but it's become now where like, I just make one meal. I do know though, like my oldest, for instance, if I'm making a stir fry, typically he doesn't like it like super coated in sauce. So sometimes I'll just pull out some of the veggies for him and like just throw those on the side. So it's like, I won't make two meals, but I might modify what I'm making or just like pull some out before I add spice or something like that. Um, that's kind of the way that I've figured it out. If your kids ever like rejecting the food that you're eating, I'm almost asking this one selfishly, but when your kid, no, no, <laughs> like for example, Ezra like will not eat meat right now. All of a sudden, yeah. like spits chicken out. He won't even eat like pasta. Like it's like a texture thing. He like isn't even eating sweet potatoes. And, like I don't want to make a different dinner. I'm like you either eat right. this, like it's nothing, but I don't want him to go to sleep hungry. So right, right. I'm like I'll give him just like a like um. Uh, yogurt that has like no sugar like a full fat high protein yogurt yeah, just, like, yeah. substance but I don't want him to like think oh if I'm not eating dinner I can then go and eat the yogurt like did your kids ever totally jack the food that you were giving them all the time I mean they do even now I feel like people are like oh you write cookbooks your kids must eat everything you make and I'm like no they're still kids <laughs> yeah I mean he's at a hard age too because he's like he's at an age where you can't really reason with him he's like they're so stubborn at that age <laughs> Um, and I feel like they always go, how is he two? He's 18 months. Okay. So is almost. He, yeah. Like, so I feel like right around two, it's like my kids always from when they started eating food until they were like two, two and a half, they would eat anything. I mean like anything. And then all of a sudden there's just this clip that they just start throwing the things that they would like readily eat like salmon and asparagus and they just stop eating them. It's just, I think they just go through this phase of like realizing that they have some sort of control over it and they've like lost their excitement about new food so for us like what I would try to do is I mean when they were that age I don't think I was strict and I think if they weren't eating what I'd eat I would like go make a grass-fed hot dog and cut it up and put it on their tray just so they would get food in them or I'd give them like a squeezy like a broccoli um like apple squeeze just so I knew they were getting like some sort of nutrients in them but with um older kids now kind of what we do is if I'm making like a meal and there's let's say like three components to it where it's like there's the vegetable and the meat or whatever and they don't want the meat, but they're eating the vegetables. And I'll just let them have like double, triple portions of the vegetables. So it's like, it kind of to me still feels like, okay, you're still eating the dinner I made. I'm not making something separate. But if you would prefer to just eat the broccoli, then I'll just give you broccoli until it fills you up. <laughs> um, that's kind of like what we what we said. I'm like, all right, if you want more of that, but you're not going to eat that. As long as they try a bite, that's kind of our thing. It's like, if you try a bite of what we're eating, great. Um, and then we have like the rule for it's like, if you don't eat what I'm serving, there's no treats, there's no, you know, whatever after like dinner show, or I don't know, whatever it is that you do after dinner, sometimes like I'll take that away or I'll reward it if they eat it all and don't complain. But no, I mean, it's still, that's why I have like three meals that I rotate weekly because I know there won't be battles. I know that they'll eat them, no problem. And then I kind of try to fit something new in there occasionally when I have like the stamina to have the like the battle face off at dinner time <laughs> what are your three go-tos in the rotation that you always make tacos burgers and spaghetti those would be like the I mean every single time so I like my have a spaghetti sauce that's from my very first book that was like a remake of one that my grandma made growing up and I just make huge portions of it and throw it into the freezer so that I can like pull it out and I usually just eat mine over like roasted veggies but I make them brown rice noodles and then tacos, but either ground beef or like instant pot chicken and just whatever I have on hand to put on top and then burgers. So we'll always, like I'll make burger patties, whether they're 
beef or turkey or whatever and just throw them in the freezer too. So that we like make them one night and then I'll throw a bunch of raw ones into the freezer so that we have double the meal. But yeah, we grow a lot in, in California. So it's just it's nice really and it's easy. Because your freezer sounds like the size of my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> so I, it's funny. I have, a, um, I bought a deep freezer when I was pumping for Kezia for my, my youngest. And it's just like this, it's not that big, but it's, it's deep. Um, and I bought it for breast milk and now it's like my meat and like double muffin freezer like that. And it's in a closet. It's in a closet, but that's where I store like the extra stuff. <laughs> so excited till we can have like a garage fridge and yeah. some type of space for like other food. Every time like I get something that's frozen or like I'm collaborating with a brand and it's frozen. Something like, please. No, you're like, what am I going to do with this? Yes, I'm yeah. like out like free candy on Halloween on the sidewalk. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. as there's nanny, I'm like, take this home. Like, yeah, well, I'm so envious of that. Yeah, with three kids, I mean, we live in the suburbs, so we have the gift of space. But um, three kids, it's like I just in working full time, like the only way I can actually get homemade food onto the table is by trying to do it in advance. I mean, we've utilized DoorDash more times than I can count during quarantine because that's just a whole different ball game. But I really do try to get as much in there as possible. Now you, as someone, something that I've spoken a lot about on this podcast has to do with like people's fertility journeys. So whether that has to be, whether that's been trouble conceiving, um, someone having like a miscarriage or very difficult Mm -hmm. labor, like postpartum depression. It's very interesting now that like, I feel like when our moms were growing up, like no one spoke about this. And now almost Mm -hmm. every woman I've brought on to the show, like talks about their journey in one way or another. And I know you've been so open about your second pregnancy and what your family has been through. And I would, if you only if you're comfortable, like have you share a little bit about that, just because I know that like people will hear that and it will resonate with them, whether that's today or tomorrow or whenever. And yeah, comfortable sharing a bit about your family's journey. Yeah, totally. I know it's like I said with the disease thing, like nobody told me my family had disease and kind of the same thing. It's like once we went through our losses, we heard from so many people that were close to us that they had been through something similar and they didn't talk about it before. And that was partially what led me to start talking about it more was because the more I heard about people that had been like suffering in silence for so long, the more I was like, you know what, I'm going to just keep sharing this in hopes that people will feel the freedom to be able to grieve and to be able to talk about their babies that were part of their family and, you know, not feel like they have to keep it suppressed for so long. So yeah, um, we actually had, we lost twins before my oldest. So they would be like 11 or 12 right now. Um, and that was an early loss that was quite complicated. Um, it was called a partial molar pregnancy. And we lost them around like 12 weeks and then had my son, Asher. And then our pregnancy after that, so technically my third pregnancy was my daughter, Ayla, and we lost her after birth. Um, She lived for about 45 minutes and she had genetic complications that weren't compatible with life, as they say, which we found out around 28 weeks, but it couldn't be fully determined until she was born. And so it was our decision to carry her to term to A, hope for a miracle, um, but B, just because there was no concrete way to just to know and decide and also she was moving and we saw her face and her hands and we just really had hoped for the best that she didn't make it after birth so we were able to hold her and I was able to give birth to her naturally and we were able to bury her close to us which was really important for us and our family um but yeah she would have been six in June which is kind of hard to believe 
how much time goes by. How did you find that out though? Like through genetic testing or like an ultrasound or how did the, yeah. something wasn't right? Um, through the ultrasound. So for us, it was during our like 20 week anatomy scan that they could kind of tell something wasn't right. And um, unfortunately, the doctor that we saw originally had no idea what he was talking about. And he like completely misdiagnosed her. And so we ended up having to seek like four other opinions to really try to figure it out. But her specific condition, they couldn't tell in utero. They thought they had like a, a suspicion that that's what it was. But um, they really couldn't actually diagnose it until she was born. So, but yeah, it's a 20 week anatomy scan. I don't think any, I mean, there might've been something that could have been picked up on early genetic type testing, which we didn't do. Um, and then we both, my husband and I both had testing done and there was nothing that like we carried and nothing that either one of us would have passed on. It just was this random fluke occurrence um, that was very, very rare. And it had nothing to do with, my disease either or autoimmune disease it was like 100% separated and different um just another like unexpected thing but um she has taught us so much and we really focused during my pregnancy we just didn't know if we would get to have the time with her afterwards and so we focused during my pregnancy of just trying to make memories and it was really difficult but we had Asher he was three and a half at the time um and so we just tried to do things like we went to Disneyland and we went to parks and we just kind of tried to make the most of our time and make as many memories as we could just in case she didn't get to be here with us. Um, but we had no idea the kind of impact and like legacy that she would leave by us sharing her story. Yeah. I mean, the amount of people that that like resonates with when you share those stories, I mean, I don't know any woman who like has had, or a couple, I should say that has had a pregnant, there hasn't been something like, obviously there are situations that are a lot more dramatic and, and horrific than others, but everyone has like a journey of sorts and yeah, hearing them, it's almost just like, I know like that probably just like so many other families are going through that or something similar and to be able to like, know that you're not alone. I think that's the biggest yeah. thing people wants to hear when they're going through something is like, I'm not the only one going yeah. through my significant other, like this is happening for other people. Totally. Yeah. And I had no idea. I mean, I was so naive to the fact that like when I was younger, it was like, you get pregnant, you just bring a baby home. You know, when we had our first loss, I just remember being like that harsh reality of like, oh my gosh, that's not how it works for one in five women, you know? Um, and I think for me too, when I was going through it, the thing that I was looking for the most was to find other women who had been through it that had moved forward. And just to see that like, they could still live a happy life. And I would look for moms that had lost babies that like were smiling, you know, just to see like, cause when you're going through that, you just don't know if you're ever going to be able to get up off the ground. And so for me, that was huge. And once I had started to work through some of it and realize that like, I can still find joy in, in my son who's here and, you know, hope in the future and that we might be able to still have more kids and that we can remember her and have her be part of our family, but not like, always be completely grief stricken that was something that I felt like was important to share just to show other women that are going through it like they'll always be with you and I, there's not a day that goes by literally not a day that goes by that I don't think about her but that it also I mean we still had this incredible last six years of our life and we now have two more kids and you know even if we didn't have them like just still being able to remember her and honor her and like still have the good things that happened in your life you know I mean 
there's still there still can be hope. So that was kind of huge for me too, is just to try to share that. What tips do you have for families that say have gone through a similar situation and then they find out they're pregnant again and you know they're with like they're obviously they're scared like they don't know what's yeah and like how did you handle your next two pregnancies? It was rough. Um, I have a article that I wrote for the Today Show that you can actually go look up if you want, but it was it's called. Um, faith over fear, I think. And I like wrote about the quote unquote, like rainbow baby journey. It was really hard. And it was literally like a daily conscious decision every day to try not to live in fear, um, which was not as easy as it sounds. It was, they were, they were very, both pregnancies and even after bringing the babies home were, were very stressful just like really difficult, just constantly worrying that something was going to go wrong. I mean, even after like the 20 week scans and everything looked fine, I still was like a basket case through all of them. And so I think, yeah, just like really trying to focus on having faith and believing that things are going to be okay, because otherwise it's just like not a good way to live. And it's just, there's, there's no light in that. And so probably that of just, just trying to focus on the positive and looking forward. And, you know, I think I was definitely the mom, like I didn't decorate the nurseries until I was like in labor. Cause I was like, I don't want to do this just in case, you know, and that's going to always be there and it's going to be a part of that. It's unfortunate, but it, it sticks with you forever. Um, but I think that's probably the biggest thing. And then, you know, everybody handles their losses and their grief differently, but for us, it was really important to continue to keep her as a part of our family and to talk about her and we celebrate her birthday and, and we have like a stocking for her. And that was huge for me because I think I was so worried when I got pregnant again that like we would forget about her and that the new baby would just like take her place. And I think all moms are probably concerned about that. Like that's the biggest thing that I hear is they just don't want their baby to be forgotten because they're never forgotten by the family. Um, so I think I would say that too is just like not to think because I actually did I was like as soon as I get pregnant again things are going to be okay and I'm going to feel so much happier and it was definitely like this crazy balance of like still being super grief-stricken but then also really excited about the new baby so I think just to like give yourself expectations of it's not going to be a band-aid and, and like fix everything <laughs> but it can still be a really happy experience too it's crazy how like when we're younger and you just think like, all right, I'll get married. I'll have a baby. Like you don't know any of these complications No, can happen. Like no one really prepares you for that. So hopefully by like everyone sharing their journeys now, it just helps. We'll make like generations after us feel a little bit and not shocked when something happens because I think that's the scariest thing. Like you just, you never heard about any of this type of stuff happening. No, you don't. I mean, I kind of like similar people don't ever talk to you about like the labor and the postpartum stuff either. It's like people don't want to scare you, you know, but I do think some sort of like understanding is helpful for new moms just to like, you know, not to be scared of everything, but to also not be like, I mean, we, I felt like we were just completely like taken, you know, like the, the blanket was like pulled out from underneath us. We just had no idea. Um, and I think like one other thing too is just, that you, and it, I learned this with my health as well, but that you have options and you can be your own advocate and you can seek, you know, different opinions. And again, kind of the similar thing of how you choose to honor and like, remember your child afterwards. But for us, something that like we had to really fight for and didn't even know was an option was that I would get to actually give birth to her. We had so many doctors that just recommended aborting the pregnancy and we would have never gotten to hold her. And 
everybody's healing journey is different, but for us, like getting to actually see what she looks like and to kiss her and to hold her and let her hear our voices. And that was super important for us and to be able to actually have a burial and, you know, it's just, it's different. But for us, when like, I actually had one doctor out of the like 10 that, that I could actually birth her, like that was huge for us. And I don't feel like a lot of parents know that. That's it. I wouldn't have thought that. I would have thought any doctor would say it's up to the parent, like whatever you're comfortable. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, we didn't have any that even offered that as like an option. It was just like every single one was just that was their recommendation was just to terminate the pregnancy. And I would have gone under and come out and say it like she would have just been gone. And that like for me and going knowing like grief and loot and loss, like there needs to be that kind of full circle, at least for my heart. I knew forever and ever, I would always just be like, what did she look like? And I can't believe like I felt her kicking. And then all of a sudden she's gone, you know? And so that was huge for me. And that was like, I told my husband in the doctor's office that day, I was like, if we can, like if the one thing we do in the rest of our lives is to let parents know that they have a choice and moms know that like whatever's best for their heart is what they should fight for. I think is huge because I know our, our healing process would have been like completely different if, if we didn't have that opportunity. No, I mean, that's like even just across the board for anything that goes on in your health journey, one way or another, just to know that like you're the advocate for yourself, no matter what the situation is. Totally. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, I always see like the birthday posts and I remember seeing on the thing with the stocking and then how you donate the toys after I'm I actually I'll probably start sharing I was like crying when I saw that over the holidays <laughs> I can't even imagine just what that is like for you and your family so thank you for, for sharing with us that was like something we had bought her stocking with her name on it when I was pregnant and I remember the first Christmas came around after we had lost her and I was like what do we do with this and we hung it up and then you know of course my like four-year-old is asking questions and so that was kind of something we decided to do with him just to try to like remember her but also do something good out of our pain and so yeah we shop for a child that would have been like her age and we donate the toys usually to the um to the like pediatric unit at the hospital every year and and he my oldest loves it like he thinks it's so great to go and pick out all the toys and it's a it's a nice way for our family to remember her every year wow that's beautiful well i have five questions that I ask guests at the end of every episode they're like someone told I because I caught calling them fireball questions and like they're not quick so like they're not fireball questions like they're quick quicker than the other questions but yeah so the first one is what is one health wellness trend that you buy into (laughs) oh man there's so many um okay well obviously food is medicine (laughs) that's huge that's probably my number one Honestly, right now, and I didn't for a long time, I was super apprehensive about all of the like meditation and like that type of thing. I think that I'm learning is huge for me and just for like my overall well-being and health and mindfulness. And so um, I'm not great at it. It's like vitamins with the kids. Like I really try to do it, but it's, I'm, I'm hit or miss. But that's probably one that I'm, I'm buying into for sure. Like just that it can really change the chemistry of your brain. And um, I think specifically for stress and for, you know, just like taking the time to really do like focused breathing and to do the mindfulness. I've been trying to do this thing called DNRS, which is like dynamic. I forget what it stands for, but it's like a neural retraining system um, to kind of help yourself with like stress or PTSD or things like that. And 
I'm still learning it and still not entirely sure that it'll work. But what I've read and what I've like experienced so far, I'm liking. Um, I also just started trying cold showers. That's like a brand new, like within a couple weeks thing that I'm seeing what'll do. So I buy into it. I just can't, I don't have like my personal vouching story yet for it. <laughs> yeah, I'm open-minded to anything. I just do the cold rinse, like at the end of the shower. Cause I say yeah. your hair that it like, <laughs> so like I do that, but I like wiggle my body. So I'm not actually <laughs> in the shower. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, what is one wellnessy trend that drives you crazy? Like a pet peeve? Oh gosh. Celery juice. So many people say celery juice. It's so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think that it's bad. I think juicing vegetables can be great, but I don't think it's a cure-all like so many people are putting it out to be. <laughs> Kelly Levesque, she when she was on the show, she said it so great where she was like, you know, we all know celery is good for you, but like it's not yeah. here. Like celery is a vegetable yeah. for you. Like that's it. Farm and taking it, but it's not gonna fix your be this exactly. Right, right. And when you were growing up, what was your go-to fast food chain and what was your order? Uh probably Taco Bell. Yeah, definitely Taco Bell or Subway. But Taco Bell, I would say, is like the one that sometimes I still dream about being able to eat. I'm like, oh, that would be good. Um, I would get the Nacho Supreme for sure with like the beef, quote unquote beef, um, the sour cream on top and like the tomatoes. And then um, a Taco Supreme. Oh, and then a bean burrito with green salsa instead of the red. That was that was my other favorite. <laughs> those at Taco Bell. <laughs> I mean, I haven't eaten it since high school. And I literally like during each of my pregnancies, I tried to talk my husband into letting me get it. And he's like, no, don't because you're going to just make yourself sick. And I'm like, okay, fine. But I still occasionally like, and I, who knows, I'd probably like think it was disgusting if I tried to eat it now, but maybe one day. There's <laughs> a McDonald's in Hoboken where we live and it's on the way yeah. to a grocery store. And Every time you go by it, I like, it smells so good. It smells so good. I know. I look at Jordan and I'm like, one day before we die, yeah. just go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If we make it to like 90, can we just like go get a happy <laughs> something? Totally. Nope. If I you, feel you there. We feel, I mean, we get in and out here, which I'm grateful for. It's like fast food, but I feel a little bit better about it. So <laughs> that's our first stop off of the airplane every time we're in California because Jordan's obsessed with it. Um, yeah, that's pretty much everybody. They come to visit us. And that's where they want to go first. So. <laughs> on this career path, what would you want to be doing for work? Um, I wanted to be in PR. That's like I had an internship in fashion PR in college. And so that was what I thought I would do after my husband graduated law school. That was like what I was going to pursue or magazine writing. That was like the other thing. I was into journalism in college and high school. So those, those would probably be the two things. Gosh, who knows at this point, you know, I'm like things changed so much, but that's what I wanted to do. Oh, nice. And it is your last day on earth. What are you eating from breakfast through the end of the day? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I'm like, my last day on earth, I may as well go get Taco Bell. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I would eat for sure. I would eat like a half a dozen real donuts that are like fried and like the real, like the real thing that you get at a donut shop with gluten and everything in it. Um, I would probably eat a really, really good lasagna. Like my grandma's like real lasagna with the noodles and the cheese and the whole work. I don't, I mean, those would, those, and then a lot of ice cream. Those would probably be like my, my major things. 
<laughs> so that's like literally really healthy. That's like <laughs> my husband when we're on vacation, literally donuts, like yeah. pasta, pizza, all the ice cream. He's like, my parents were going away next weekend. My dad and my mom were like, can we take Ezra for ice cream? Like every day I'm like, sure. Why not? Sure. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I don't, it's funny because people are always like, do you feel deprived with the way you eat? And I'm like, no. But then when you ask that question, I'm like, clearly, I guess I do because I still dream about some of those things that I would like to eat. <laughs> Not many people eat that way every single day. So you're better off even yeah. regardless of the situation on the, on the path you're on right now with eating. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to of chat. Of course. Um, if you want to just tell everyone where they can find you and I'll link to everything in the show notes too. Yes. Yeah. So, um, I'm most active on Instagram and I'm just Danielle Walker there. Um, I'm on Facebook at against all grain and then my blog is against all grain.com. And then I have four cookbooks that you can find wherever books are sold. We didn't even get to your cookbooks. I could have kept talking to you for like four hours. Oh, that's right. I'm like, the cookbooks feel like old news now. <laughs> not old news. I don't know how you did more than one cookbook. I mean, I give you a lot of credit. Well, Danielle, thank you so, so much. And I can't wait. Yeah, thanks for having me.